0: This is Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Keys to the City, a podcast about the problems facing New York City and the enduring power of ideas. I'm Anthony Weiner. From existential threats to pet peeves, each week together we'll resist the temptation to curse the darkness. Instead, we'll try to light a candle by bringing to light ideas that have worked before or new ways to get things done. This is our first episode, and we start with probably the issue that is on most people's minds here in New York City. It comes and goes, but it's always in the background, and that is crime. And there's a lot of talk about crime because crime is up almost however you look at it. From May to May, a year ago, it's up by about 30 percent, and it's everything. It's grand larceny one of the biggest characters in the rise in crime. They're the one of the index crimes that's the highest. And the way the FBI looks at this and the way cities compare themselves year over year and compare themselves to other cities is something called the index crimes. They are the seven crime categories that everyone compares year over year. Grand larceny, as I mentioned, is one of them. Burglaries is another. That's up 28 percent. Robberies up 26 percent. Murder is up. For 9.8% as up to this year. It was 41 as of last year. It's 45 this year. That's a a 9.8% increase. Rape is up. Felony assault is up and grand theft all over. Those are the index crimes that are all on the rise. And people have theories about why it could be. Some people believe that there have been changed in prosecution techniques and things like bail reform here in New York City are to blame. Other people point to the economy, that one of the leading indicators of when crime is going to go up has always been the economy. When things are not going well economically, then that is a time that we frequently see crime increase. Some have even pointed to the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement that the protests themselves and the tenor of the conversation around policing in our country has led police officers to be perhaps less aggressive in their actions than they had been before. You know, criminologists literally spend their whole lives trying to figure out what leads to increases in crime, what leads to problems that we, we see down the river, because if we knew those answers for sure, we would be able to predict them before they happen. Now, my perspective on this is having grown up in the city, I saw crime waves in the 70s. I saw crime waves in the 90s. We are not in that kind of a situation. We had 2,200 murders in 2013. After a dramatic series of declines, I've described to you, here we are in May, we only have 41, and there was a total of 292 in 2007, which got us to our lowest ever, and frankly led us to be able to be claimed to be one of the... Lowest, The lowest crime rate big city in the country. But now that crime is back on the increase, that some have suggested that one of the reasons it is, is because that we don't have the policing as aggressively as they used to. And they point to something that is called stop and frisk. And what that basically is, is there is a constitutional permissibility. Well, let's start. Let me step back. There's a conflict that always exists between policing and our rights. I mean, let's face it, if we wanted to, we could put a police officer on every corner, a metal detector on every corner. We can have the police have the authority to tap into all of our phone calls and we can have a situation where they can just ask us to see our papers on the street every day and we would probably reduce crime almost completely. But no one wants to do that because we are also protected from the police. All of us have those civil rights and liberties. And so the courts have looked at this, like when can a police officer stop you? And basically what it comes down to is this. If a police officer has a reasonable belief that a person is or is about to be involved in a crime, then they can basically stop the person They can question them, and they can pass their hands over their outer garments. That's basically the Supreme Court saying, here's how we're going to balance these competing demands. So stop, question, and frisk became, over the course of time, something that was done enormously in the city of New York. So much so that it increased seven times under the Bloomberg administration, meaning that there were 685,000 stops and frisks in 2011, and that by the time the Bloomberg administration was finally sued over this, five million New Yorkers had been stopped. The problem became that when people started to take a look at who was being stopped, it was fairly obvious. It was people of color. Young men of color were getting stopped again and again and again. But the bigger problem was that it wasn't at all clear that it was contributing to the reduction in crime. And the reason I say that is because when all of these stops were happening, very few of them were turning out to result in anyone being arrested, given a summons, or in any way sanctioned for their behavior. In other words, police officers were saying, I have a reason to stop this person 685,000 times in 2011, 5 million times over the course of years, and— People were not being arrested that amount. And we know this because police officers fill out something called a 250. It's a form that basically says who was stopped, why were they stopped, and what was turned up. And at the height of it, only 14 people for every 10,000 that were stopped actually wound up having any legitimate reason to be stopped, meaning they weren't issued a ticket, they weren't arrested, no one found a gun on their person. And finally, a lawsuit ensued. It was almost inevitable. And the courts ruled that the police were essentially using uh, stop, question, and frisk as a form of profiling communities and discriminating and violating their rights. And stop, question, and frisk dramatically reduced. It went from about 700,000, as I said, to less than 200,000 to finally being less than 100,000. And at the same time, Crime rates continue to go down. So, what's the idea? What's the key to the city that I'm proposing here? Well, I think that we would all agree that the police still need to have the right, and it's constitutionally protected the reasonable belief that, you know, if a police officer believes that he is observing he or she is observing a crime that is about to happen, or someone that is seems likely to be engaged in criminal activity, I don't believe that anyone on the political spectrum believes that the police should never have the right to intercede. That's why we have police officers. But my suggestion is that we have complete transparency around the results of these stops. And that means making these 250s, which which is the form that the police officer fills out, make them completely transparent and completely public. So that we can now compare not only where crime is going up or going down, but we can look at different precincts and say, you know what, there is X number of stops have taken place there, but only 2% of them are resulting in any kind of law enforcement activity. Someone's doing something wrong there. Or alternatively, rather than waiting for a lawsuit, we can take a look at the data that shows that, huh, interestingly, since this information is included on a 250, 81% of the people being stopped are in certain communities, for example, and there'll be accountability for that. And I would have these 250 information released at the same time as the ComStat results are released. When those index crime numbers are released, let's take a look at this as well. Because many New Yorkers, many Americans, and certainly the judge in the case, were shocked when they saw how many of these stops and frisks were happening that were resulting in no law enforcement action, meaning people that were just stopped on their way home. And you might say to yourself, well... I am willing to sacrifice a certain amount of of my rights if it brings crime down. The problem with that is that people who look like me simply aren't getting stopped, and other communities are. And the other problem is that those communities are less and less and less willing to cooperate with the police to provide witness testimony, to generally be agents in helping to reduce crime with the police because they are constantly being – they had constantly been subject to these types of stops. They consider themselves to be harassed because remember what I'm saying here. These are people who were stopped again and again and again who had done nothing wrong. Because if you are stopped and you get a ticket, I'm not talking about you. If you're stopped and you're talking about and you're arrested, obviously, then the police did their job exactly right. It is when you reach a situation where only 14 out of every 10,000 stops turns up a gun, for example, then you realize that the program isn't working. So the proposal is simple. It's transparency. We have transparency around crime statistics. Let's have transparency around the results of these stops and frisks. If that's going to be one of the tools we give the police, we should certainly keep an eye on how that tool is being used. And we're going to go to a break, and after the break, I'm going to bring in an expert who can tell me if this idea is all wet, or if it's a good idea, or maybe bring some ideas of his own. Thank you for joining us here on Keysla City. After the break, a special guest. So before we took a break on keys to the city, I gave you my pitch for what I call idea number 76, which is a way to keep track of the data about who's getting stopped, who's getting frisked, and to make sure that there's some accountability for that, both from the public and from the law enforcement community. And we don't like to do one hand clapping on keys to the city. So we like to bring in folks who sometimes have expertise, sometimes say the idea is a good one sometimes say it's a lousy one. And sometimes they say, yeah, but you're missing the rest of the iceberg that's below the surface. And now I'd like to bring in someone to help us with this subject, help us unpack it. Charlie King, welcome to Keys to the City. Let me tell everyone a little bit about your rather impressive resume. You and I have known each other for a while, but even some of these things, you know, everything you need to know you can find on Wikipedia. But this is Speak about just the tip of the iceberg. Charlie King is an attorney. Was the executive director for the Democratic Party, the one that made the trains run on time and made sure that all the the party faithful were supported. He was the HUD ambassador under uh, uh, the HUD administrator under Bill Clinton, administering our region of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. He volunteered as a young man for the Mollen Commission. He was he was the executive director of the National Action Network, and apropos of the conversation we're having today. He also was attorney on the codes committee, which is the committee up in Albany
1: that writes the criminal law. Did I leave anything out, Charlie? No, I mean, you covered uh, pretty much everything that anybody needs to know about me. And you are a prodigious
0: football fan and you play Madden, whatever. But what we can- very, that very, out. very well. If your sponsorship well. deal hasn't come through, we could always edit that out in the, uh, in the final version of this. So you've heard the idea. It doesn't claim to solve every problem, but is to try to have some transparency around who's getting stopped, who's getting frisked, so that we use it as a tool to prevent crime and to arrest bad guys, but we don't abuse it in a way that harms communities. What say you
1: about this idea? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to get the uh, we have to address the elephant in the room, uh, which is, you know, I believe these things came from. Uh, when you ran for mayor the last time. The question is, do you plan to run for mayor uh, again and against Eric Adams? I wasn't prepared for this curveball. No, I have no
0: intention of doing that. I think my career in public office, I'm trying to serve in other ways, doing a podcast, being on the radio. But what are you getting at?
1: I'm getting at nothing. I mean, I was just wondering if, you know, these are interesting ideas I think you're going to be having many interesting ideas going forward but uh, do you ever see yourself as being mayor or you're interested in running? listen
0: I've I said many times for the only job I really wanted in public life besides being in Congress was mayor I have a lot of ideas I love my city I still do I still believe the things that I did but I think practically speaking given the problems that I've had and given just the remarkable success I'm having on radio and podcasting, I think that uh, fate has led me in another direction but I'm always interested in the issues.
1: So you're not ruling it out here on this very first episode. Wow. OK,
0: I, we did not anticipate this episode of Keys to the City where we make this much news. But no, I, look, if 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 call to service, I'm always looking for ways to do it. What, Charlie, I sense you're snipping around some approach to this that even I am surprised by. So uh, I'm on. No, we're going to we're going no, how about this? I'll make it easy for you. If I were to be mayor, this would be one of the things I would do to make sure my police department was accountable.
1: All right, I just want to make sure everybody's listening. You did not rule out a <laughs> run so that uh, in case anybody is listening, that we've just made news here on the first podcast. All right. Let's get to to the issue. Uh, I think I would give this a thumbs up as far as it goes. But as many of your ideas, it doesn't go far enough. I mean, at the beginning of the when when you first started there are a couple of issues. First of all, there are 5 million stops, as you said. With, with Bloomberg, um, you and me come, we have different hues from different ethnicities. I'm far more likely to be stopped than you. And I think that's a very important point. Sure. Um, uh, and that is something that, that can't be uh, underestimated. I think it's very important for people to have that conversation, to get this release out, to have the dialogue. But as you know, the famous point in Casablanca, when Captain Renault goes in and says, I'm shocked that there's gambling going on here. When we release this, we're gonna know what the results are gonna say, as you aptly pointed out. Um, people of color are gonna be the ones that we know are being stopped all the time. And that creates a, a devastating uh, uh, pall over people of color here all the time, because you know, the results, if not done right, uh, Creates a situation where people of color feel that they're targeted unnecessarily and unfairly, even when it doesn't, when it's not directly cre- uh, connected to the reduction in crime.
0: I think that's a, that's an excellent point. I mean, look, the, su- the summary is just because you collect the information and just because you know the facts doesn't mean you're prepared to do something about them. But in this case. It did. It was a dump of all of this data that came out as a result of the lawsuit that was brought by the ACLU and others against the Blooming administration did really inform the conversation. Because suddenly, and I remember when I ran in 2013, everyone was talking about how you know we had gone too far. And even Mike Bloomberg, when he ran for president in 2020, if you had a point to three or four things that weighed down his campaign and made him never really be able to take off, was one of them he had to walk away from his stop and frisk policies himself and that but you're right i i don't believe that just having the data out there means that we take the right steps But, but let me paint a scenario for you if it turns out that in the that the new york post or the times or a podcast or a blog post the list of the precinct that had the most stops that didn't result in any type of legal action meaning no ticket no arrest or nothing those police captains were going to get a call from city hall they're going to get a call from reporters they're going to get a call from their community council um and that even that low grade accountability i think would be good agree
1: uh the answer is maybe because the question is like what is happening now you know what's going on now and the answer is we're not sure which is one of the reasons why your idea is an interesting one right uh, we don't know what's going on with stop questioning Frisco, what's got What's whats actually going on uh, with respect to all of the, the issues right now with the 250s. Right. So uh, and we already had uh, all of the litigation. We're having this 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 discussion right now. So uh, one could argue that uh, it, it it would be a step in the right direction, but. A step in the right direction when you actually have to take 20 or 30 steps or 100 steps, the question is, is it enough? Which is why I think sometimes your ideas are interesting ideas, but they don't go far enough.
0: I, think, is- that, I, I think that's a fair point. It's one of the things that, you know, here on, on Keys to the City, we try to do big ideas, small ideas. This one's somewhere in the middle. This is a tool to get you
1: to good policy. But you know, you and I have been in public. So lives. why are you why are you leading with just a medium idea that just you know coming out of the box? Why didn't you come up with a big bold idea? Well, I thought this the, was you know.
0: I tell you, I tell you what my thinking was, and I appreciate you, the yeah. You
1: start cautious. I thought no, you were. Here, uh,
0: here's what I yeah. I tell us your thinking. A, <laughs> I think there's a conversation going on right now around crime that is is evocative of what we've seen before when crime spikes in the city. That the first thing everyone says is, let's go back and try what worked before. And there are too many people, and I, as you know, I do a, a program on WABC radio and I take calls, and too many people say, well, why don't we just go back to how we reduce crime from where it was in the late 80s and early 90s? And they point sometimes to stop question the first as a successful strategy. Well. One of the things I think we need to do before we start diving into trying to rehash what we did before is to have a really honest discussion about whether it worked or not. And in the case of stop, question, and frisk, there's a reasonable debate. Some people would say, yes, if you put, a, as I said in my intro, if you put a police officer on every corner stopping every citizen, you, you would reduce crime, no doubt about it. But on the other hand, when stop, question and frisk was deemed unconstitutional and it dramatically declined, you know what happened to crime? It kept going down. So this is, I think would be a good starting place for us to have the conversation about how we police going forward. And that is, did it really work? And until you get the data on where it's happening, what the results are, I think you're handicapped. So that was my thinking. Not a bad way to start. Well, I appreciate it. Well, Charlie King, I, let me finish with this one final question. Um, since we we do like to kind of dip our toes and then maybe dive in, let's assume we gave you the keys to the police department, said you can be the police commissioner. You'd only be there a year. You didn't have to worry about keeping your job after that. You can do the things that you think really needed to get done, um, that you've been, you know, you've know, you been looking at this a while, being a, a, a volunteer on the Mollen Commission, go back in the day, the codes committee. What are a couple of things that if you were police commissioner or king for a day running the police department that you might do
1: uh i might hire you to go in (laughs) and shake things up that's what i that's what i would do but then after a year and a day i would fire you because i think it might be too complicated
0: that's probably that's probably uh, both things are probably smart both to hire me and to fire me quickly before i can get into trouble well charlie king i really appreciate you joining us here on keesla city i got to tell you something you're an excellent resource on so many things. I know you're working at Mercury Communic Mercury Communication. What's the full name of the firm? Mercury Public Affairs. We're at Mercury Public Affairs. And if any listeners want to get in touch with you directly, do you have a, a, a Twitter handle or a Instagram or whatever? No, you-
1: I'm like I'm like old school. You can just uh look us up, you know, Fair Mercury enough. Public Affairs, but uh or you can just keep listening to your podcast and, you know, that's the best way to try to well, get I it.
0: certainly appreciate it, Charlie. We're we're going to have you back because you're an expert on on so many things, but I appreciate you taking time
1: today on Keesla City. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care.
0: Well, that was a great conversation and I'm glad we had a chance to do it. These are complicated issues, but we're not going to dodge those on Keesla City. We really appreciate your joining us. Tune in for the next episode when we'll deal with another challenge facing New York, another brilliant idea. or we'll find out if it's a brilliant idea. In the meantime, if you want to lob in some ideas of your own, go to the website that is in the show notes. There's a, a link there to take you to a special email address for ideas. And also, if you want to take a look at some of the ideas that this is based upon, a document that I wrote called Keys to the City, from my mayoral campaigns they're also available in pdf form in the show notes thank you very much for joining us on keys to the city check out this and all other episodes on the red apple podcast network and i'll see you next week